the 8th chapter. If you'd remain standing, I would appreciate it. You still have a moment of time if you'd like to move a little closer to the front. The Lord's been doing some great and wonderful things. Some great and wonderful things. And it's just so good to be involved in some of those things. We hear such great reports throughout the world of what God is doing. Brother Peter Utoff was with us last Thursday night and he gave his testimony. He'll be testifying again tonight a little longer. Uh, he was telling me yesterday that in Bulgaria, his home country, that over 200 churches had joined this marvelous truth. Praise God. And God is just doing such great and wonderful miracles throughout the world. You know what the Lord's doing? He's getting this church rapture ready, ready to go up. Praise God. I believe that He is. Now, the message that I have this morning is more of a Bible study. But it's something that I feel that I need to talk about. Uh, Matthew, the 8th chapter, if you would turn there. And we want to talk about Jesus as He stills the waters or the waves. Matthew eight twenty three. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And you may be seated. I want to back up to verse 25. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, Save us. And I want to speak on the subject. Lord, save us. We perish. Now, I stated that this would be more of a Bible study than it would be a preaching message. Normally on Sunday morning, we have an evangelistic preaching message. We try to build faith. We'd like to see the Lord fill people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We'd like to see people delivered. We also like to see people healed. And if you are in need of a healing, God can heal you today. If you are in need of Bible salvation, God can save you. If you need to be delivered from some situation that has been plaguing you for some time, God can do this. He can do this. And just because we're slowing the pace down a little bit uh, doesn't mean that we will not emphasize the great miraculous ability of God to deliver a person from anything or all things. We have recently received testimony from several people in our congregation that have been delivered from 
drugs. People have come from the streets. Uh, we've had people who have been healed, miraculously healed of very serious things. And then, of course, a good number of people have found the, the Lord in the power of the Holy Ghost this year. If I'm not mistaken, so far this year, we've had 85 to 90 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm here to tell you that God can do that for you today. He can do it today. He can do it today. If our next six months are equivalent to the last six months, this will be the greatest year we've ever had as far as the number of people who have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But separate and apart from that, I want to be the greatest year that we've ever had where people have been genuinely delivered from bondage and set free from sicknesses. And I believe that Jesus can and will do that. We know, according to the Scripture, that Jesus is salvation. What I'd like to do is just have you turn to Matthew 1, 21. And we want to talk about Jesus being salvation just for a moment Matthew 1 21 and she shall bring forth a son thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins the Jehovah of the Old Testament became salvation to men in the new the word Jesus actually makes reference to Jehovah Becoming salvation. Now, <clears throat> what I'd like to do is turn to John 3.16. We want to read a few scriptures that uh, I think will be very interesting to you. At the same time, I uh, trust that this will open your understanding or enlighten you concerning some of the things that are being taught about Jesus the Savior. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that is, has been declared for many, many years as the most quoted Scripture in the entire Bible. John 3.16. So, if you do not want to perish, what do you do? The Bible says that you should believe in Him. Now, an interesting thing crops up, especially if you're studying in the Greek language, and that is, if you will turn to, to uh, Acts 5.32. Now, this speaks of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts 5.32, and we are His witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Now, you see the word obey is given. Uh, the reason why I want to call your attention to this because there's, there seems to be uh, a lot of conflict in thought. Uh, the inability of uh, many people to, to put all of this together so that you, that you fully understand uh, what ha happens or how it happens, maybe I should say. Now let me just back up and make a statement. I don't think that you have to know uh, what happens to you when you're saved in order to be saved. I don't think you have to know that. There are, 
the, the, the people who were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them, uh, they probably knew little or nothing about sanctification or justification. Later on, the Apostle Paul explains justification to them. It was at this time, then, that they took on a knowledge of what had actually happened. But I think much appreciation comes when we begin to look in the Scripture and we begin to find out exactly what did take place. And then, of course, there are some that it will never take place unless they understand. Because their ability to follow is also based upon their ability to understand. In other words, some people just won't do. They won't respond unless they fully know why they are responding. And I hope that I'll be able to help some of you today. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 9 uh, let's back up to verse 8. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now the reason why that I'm calling your attention to this, because there, there seems to be, in religious circles today, a huge misunderstanding, or maybe I should say, a great amount of confusion relative to believing, having faith, trusting, and obeying. And also put into this is the doctrine of grace. And so as a result, people just, they just simply uh, have a lot of confusion in their minds relative to this. Now, we know as we read the Scripture that uh, we find many, many things that, that actually deals with salvation and things that, that, that we are to do. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, we'll cover this a little bit later, call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. We know in Acts 17, when the Apostle Paul speaks to the Philippian jailer, he said, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou and thy household shall be saved. And then we know that, that the Apostle Paul is instructing through the book of Hebrews and Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, that if we want to receive the Holy Ghost, that we should obey. And then John, in his uh, gospel, he said that if we do not want to perish that we should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand that the writer of the book of, of Acts, which was Luke, when he spoke of, the, of, of being filled with the Holy Ghost, he also said that we should be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to prevent perishing. So, this is extremely important. Now, we know that when we talk about salvation, we're talking about being saved so that when we leave this world, either by death or by the rapture, that, that God will take us into His presence. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being saved. When we talk about being lost, we talk about people who will die, who have never come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
They've never been filled with His Spirit. They have no hope of tomorrow, and therefore they are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now, there's a lot of different uh, details that I could clue you in on, uh, scriptural details, but uh, time would not prevent in this Bible study. But I would like to first start out by saying that when you look at John 3.16, and you look at the word believeth, when you look at Acts 5.32 and Hebrews 5.9, basically, one is translated believe or believeth, two are translated obey, but both Greek words that are found, the one in John 3.16, the other in Hebrews 5.9 and Acts 5.32 are taken from the basic same Greek base word, a root word. It's translated obey one time. It's translated believe uh, in, in John 3.16. And if you go pick up other translations of the Bible... And I, I have not looked at all the translations recently, uh, so I don't have the evidence before me. But you most likely would find in, some, in the book of Acts that some of the translations would use the word believe. Also, the word believe is used in some translations in Hebrews 5. And some translations use the word obey in John 3.16. Because the basic root, Greek root word that this comes from, it means to have faith in or to trust in or to obey. And this is what we want to, to spend some time uh, talking about. Now we know that salvation cometh not by works, lest any man should boast. We know that. Paul explains this. Now... If you really get down to it, though, and you take a look at it, you say, well, if salvation doesn't come by works, and you're attaching these addendums such as calling or believing or obeying, then, then, then what, it, what is actually taking place? Well, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is salvation. And salvation is separate and apart from anything that you say, anything you think or anything you do. That's what salvation is. Because salvation is Jesus. Period. That's it. That's what salvation is. However, I don't think that, that we should uh, confuse the subject by saying that, that there isn't something that, that we basically do. And I'll, I will get into this in just a moment. Now you have to understand in John 3, and I'd like for you to turn back there if you would. In John 3, Jesus talks to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And John 3, 16 was also a statement that Jesus made in a conversation to this man. But before he told Nicodemus, in verse 15 that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life, he also told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again in John 3, 3. 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you notice the word except found there. Now that simply means that God is making an exception to the original law concerning sin. The original law of sin that's found in the book of uh, Ezekiel, probably as clear as any place outside of the book of Genesis, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That was the original law of sin. And that was laid down to Adam and Eve in the garden concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil which they were not to touch nor eat the fruit of it. But what happened? They sinned. They definitely sinned. And since then, there has been transmitted to all of us, to all of us, this sinful nature. And Paul explains it in Romans 2 and Romans 3, that all men stand before God guilty of death, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus explains to a man by the name of Nicodemus that God is going to make an exception to the original law of sin. And this is what he said, except a man be born again. Now, Jesus explains this after Nicodemus had some confusion relative to it. That is in John 4 when Nicodemus said, you mean I'm supposed to go back to my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, oh no, that's not what we're talking about. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Now I have maintained... That when Jesus said that you must be born of water and of spirit, that this certainly coincides or parallels the message that Peter preached in Acts the second chapter. Now others feel that that being born of water is talking about the natural birth, being born of spirit is talking about the spirit birth, and Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that a man has to be first born of his mother, and then he has to be born of the, of the Spirit in order to be saved. Well, logically, that, that is correct. I mean, if you're never born into the world, certainly you, you could not go to heaven because there would be nothing to go to heaven. <clears throat> I mean, that, that does make sense. But on the other hand, you have to consider the context, not only of the writing here, but also of all other instructions in the Bible relative to this particular subject. Now, this is an extremely important subject. It's the most important subject in the entire Bible because the Bible is a book from God, the writings of God to man concerning salvation. And I don't care what a preacher is preaching. He will never stand behind the pulpit and preach anything more important than what I am instructing you in today. Never. Because you could be healed a thousand times of some physical ailment. But if you are lost eternally, my friend, it wouldn't make any difference 
once you pass from this life and you're not in the presence of God. And the truth of the matter is, you'd be better off to be saved and never healed than you would to be healed and never saved. So what I'm saying is that when it comes to a work of the Spirit, there is no work of the Spirit in the human life more important than the work that brings to you salvation. None whatsoever. Now, I said that to say this. As a result, then, of the knowledge of the importance of salvation, it only makes sense that when we look in the Scripture concerning this subject, that we pick out all the evidence of the Scripture and compile it just as a judge would collect all evidence and it is presented to a jury before a decision is made. In other words, you have to look at all of the evidence, not just a little bit of it, but all of it. Now keep in mind when Jesus said that you had to be born of water and of spirit, that he also then talked to Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus that he must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to have eternal life, and if he did not do this, then he would perish. Now, God sent not His Son into the world. This is an important point in this message, verse 17. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might believe. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. We are born into this world non-believers. And conversion must take place in the life of every person that is born into the world. And if we do not believe, we are condemned already. In other words, there is a point in which every man must be confronted with the gospel message and that encounter with Jesus Christ is so important because nothing else can save him. Not his good works, not his wealth, not his personality, nothing that the man does. Now just stay with me, because salvation is Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not your belief. Salvation is not your works. Salvation is Jesus. Now you have to keep that in mind. Now an interesting thing, however, takes place. After Jesus had spoke of being born of water and of spirit to Nicodemus, and the importance of Nicodemus believing in what he was doing, or the God that he was, he was uh, uh, relating to, Jesus then, according to verse 22, after these things, that's after he spoke to Nicodemus, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, there were questions then, then that arose on the part of the disciples of John the Baptist, because Somehow the rumor, the grapevine, the world's always had people that, that, that spread the, the, the news. 
Now, there is a vast difference between the gospel, which is the good news, and the gossip, which is the bad news. And some people are more interested in the bad news gossip than they are the good news or the gospel. That just seems to be the human nature. So you all, when I talk to you about being saved, you should fully understand because you live in a world that's so full of this type of corruption. Now, the first thing that Jesus did after he talked to Nicodemus, he went into the wilderness, into the land of Judea, and he took these disciples, and what did he do? He baptized them. That's the first thing he did. Now, the reason why I'm calling your attention to this, because I think that this is laying down evidence that points in the direction that when the Bible says you must be born of water and of spirit, that the water birth was more than just a physical birth, but it is also saying... I mean, it's pointing in this direction. Now, we have other evidence in the Scripture, and I think after you see them all, that you fully understand what the Bible is teaching. But he took them and baptized them. Now, the question came up concerning that Jesus is baptizing more disciples than John. But the Bible tells us in the fourth chapter, after John received the message, he said, now I must decrease, he must increase. That's talking of Jesus. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. Now it doesn't mean that, that his disciples were baptizing. It simply means Jesus baptized no one outside of his disciples. And the reason why is because when the day of Pentecost was to come, the first apostolic message that was to be preached after Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens was that man should repent of his sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And God needed, God needed anointed, spirit-filled, fully born-again Christians to perform baptism. Now, I said that to say this, that prior to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Jesus took and baptized His disciples. Now, you, you have to keep in mind that Jesus was a prophet like unto Moses, or Moses a prophet like unto Jesus Christ. And Moses, before the starting of the Levitical order of priest, or maybe I should say before these men were qualified to go in and perform the office of the priest, the first thing that he did, he took them to the brazen laver, and there he cleansed them or washed them. In other words, they had been, they had been washed and cleansed, and this is a type of baptism that's taught in the New Testament. Now you may say, well, Brother Grant, I thought you said... That baptism, or Jesus, was salvation, and salvation wasn't anything that we did. That's exactly what I said. And now you're telling us that, that we have to be baptized in order to be saved. And that's exactly what I'm saying. You may say, well, it sounds like a, a real contradiction. I, I certainly don't think that there is a contradiction. And I'll, 
I'll explain this in just a brief moment, but let's, let's get into this a little bit further. Now, Jesus took and baptized His disciples. Now, we know that they were not Spirit-filled before this day, the, the, the day of Pentecost, which is in Acts, the second chapter. And the reason why that we know that they weren't, because it was impossible, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if you turn to John 7, 37, the Bible tells us, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Or are you following along as I read this? I want you to. Verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we know that Jesus was foretelling or prophesying of something that was futuristic, something that would come. And the Scripture is very plain that it was not uh, intended when he gave this for, for believers to say, well, I want to receive the Holy Ghost right now because the time had not yet come. But Jesus had taken and baptized those disciples even though they were not, the Holy Ghost was not available as we know it now for them to receive. So, this is, this is what happened. Now in Acts the second chapter, if you will turn there with me, in Acts the second chapter, we find that the Holy Ghost was poured out. This is the birth of the New Testament church. And, and it's amazing to me that, that you just don't find anybody that will disagree on this. That, that most everyone believes that this is the birth of the New Testament church. While the message may vary as to how you are born again or how you get into the church or, or the message of salvation, most, most all people believe that this is the birth of the New Testament church. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this is when the Holy Ghost came. Now, one thing I did not read, but it is certainly something that we need to consider, and that is in John 3, verse 8, Jesus did speak to Nicodemus concerning the spiritual birth. He said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh, nor whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that's born of the Spirit. The Bible says it will come like a wind. You will not know where it came from or whether it goeth. You will hear the sound of it, but that will be the extent of it. In other words, you, you may not be able to figure it out. And I can tell you, when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it was such a miraculous experience. I wasn't even trying to figure it out. I was just enjoying the blessings of God. The blessings of God. Now, as we get on with the evidence that's found in the Scripture, it, uh, it seems to be a little bit confusing to some people. I read this 
to you before, if you'll turn to uh, Romans, the 10th chapter. Now, keep your finger back here on, in Acts, the second chapter, because this is extremely important. In Romans, the 10th chapter, verse, uh, verse 9, and this is, this is called the, Romans, the Roman road, according to, to, to a lot of denominations, uh, some who accept the simple doctrine of beliefism as, as salvation. All right. Verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made unto, unto salvation. I think I, I missed a word there. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. I've gone over this so much, I have a tendency to just start quoting this without looking. All right? And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you look at this, you would say that salvation comes by calling upon the name of the Lord. And then, of course, we know that with the heart man believeth. Okay, so the word believe is found, and also the word call is found. Now, going back to Acts, the second chapter, in, in uh, verse 37, but before we read verse 37, let me explain, and you can read this, that, that, that Peter, the first thing he does, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14. He preaches to all these people who are gathered there at the birth of the church. And then he, he talks about Joel's prophecy being fulfilled in verse 15 all the way to verse 22. And then he talks about the works of Jesus that prove that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And when I say Lord in Christ, we're talking about that Jesus was Lord, basically connecting Him to the Old Testament God that these people served and worshipped. And the Christ, the anointed Messiah of the New Testament. Then He speaks of David, who foretold of the Messiah's kingship and of His resurrection. Verse 25 down through verse 31. Now, his resurrection, Peter says, proves that he is Lord and Christ. And then after he had preached this to them, the people who heard this, obviously a great amount of conviction came upon them and guilt or condemnation came upon them because they realized that they had crucified the Lord of glory. Not all of them, but many of them. In verse 37, the Bible says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? All right? Now, basically, what shall we do about this? What, what shall we do? Uh, obviously, when the gospel is preached and conviction is there, the first thing 
that happens is that the Holy Ghost demands a response. What are you going to do about what you hear? God always does that. And, and if, you don't, if you don't just literally shut God out and walk away, you will be miserable for days simply because God will continue to deal with you and talk to you. So preaching demands a response. So they ask, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise now, the promise, is unto you and your children to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. Now notice this. Save yourselves. Can a man really save himself? Well, I think in the context in which he's speaking, yes, but in essence, no. And I want to, I want to go through a little illustration here that I think will put all of this together. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. The word untoward means wicked. Basically, if you look at the Greek, it's talking about a lame person. A person who is lame in his legs, and when he walks, he walks with a limp. The book of Proverbs says that the legs of a lame man are not equal. And basically, the connotation that's taken here, when you study it out, is talking about a lame man who would walk, and if we have anyone here who has a physical handicap, please understand the purpose of me explaining. This is just a matter of fact of life. That if a man has one leg shorter than the other, that when he walks, this somehow will be a noticeable defect. If it's not a noticeable defect, it's not a handicap at all. But a person who has this problem, he has to shorten the stride of one leg and lengthen the stride of another because of the different lengths. This is the reason why it's so difficult. And sometimes it creates pelvic and back problems, very severe ones, because he is not walking with the fluid motion that the average man is because his brain is programmed for him to walk with an equal amount of effort on both legs. Now basically... If the program of the mind is not reprogrammed so that he takes a longer stride with his short leg and a shorter stride with his long leg, what does he do? He walks around in a circle. That, that's, that's what happens. And that's what Peter is saying when he said, Save yourself from this untoward generation, this wicked generation that just evolves in a circle. It just goes around and around and around and around and gets really nowhere. And if you're here and you're in sin and you feel like you're spinning fast like a top, it's because that you're involved in this whiplashing effect of this untoward generation. And you just keep walking in circles and walking in circles and walking in circles and you get absolutely nowhere in life. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do, is to set you free. 
Now, in Peter's epistle, and we'll have to hurry along here so I will not be able to give you all the scriptures, that is the reference, but in Peter's epistle, he talks about baptism that saves us. Now, there are many, many things in the Bible that talks concerning our salvation. The Bible speaks of grace, the Bible speaks of faith, the Bible speaks of calling, the Bible speaks of knocking, the Bible speaks of seeking, the Bible speaks of obeying. The Bible says, save yourself, and you're up here, Pastor Grant, saying that you cannot save yourself. And that you can call all you want to, but it's not your calling that saves you. You can believe all you want to, but it's not your believing that saves you. Your salvation is Jesus. Now what I want to do is just give you a little illustration. I need two people. Uh, Burry, come over here. Bring your chair with you and just set it up over here, if you will. Now we're going to... We were talking about a ship, and uh, we'll just use a water example here. Set it up on high up here. Now this is... And sit down in this chair. You ever gone by the beaches and you see this... Big, strong, muscular lifeguard. Here he is. All right. Now, he's watching out over the, over the beach, the, the prescribed swimming area. And he's been hired to do this because we don't want anyone to drown. Okay? Now, he looks out into the, into the water and he sees this beautiful little red-haired girl. Come over here, Martha, if you would. We'll use his wife. Okay? And she's way out here, and she's, she's, she's in trouble. Go, go way, way down there, okay? Way down there. Now, okay, if you're in trouble, if you're in trouble and you cannot swim and you waded out into some water that's pulling you further and further back. There is a point, most of you remember this, when you couldn't swim, when you got into deeper water, there's a point there in which it, it almost like it sucked you backwards. I remember one time when I was a little kid, I got in a pond, just a little lake, and I got into deep water, and I couldn't swim, and it was I, 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 I caught myself way up here, and I just went immediately under. I'm telling you. Now... When I came up, guess what I did? You have any idea if you want to be saved, what you would do? What would you do? Martha, what would you do if you wanted this strong, handsome lifeguard to save you? What would you do? You think you'd scream for help? Why would you scream for help? Because you, yeah, to get his attention. And not only that... But because you you can't swim, you can't you can't get out of there by yourself. Now, if you scream for help and you thought maybe you're too far away or something, and, now let me ask you this: If you scream for help, do you think you'd just use the volume of voice that you thought that it would take to get his attention? You would probably overemphasize, wouldn't you? Yeah. Now, let's say if you were actually drowning, what kind of a voice do you think you'd use? Very loud voice. What would you say? <laughs> no, you're... 
we're going to have to have somebody else to drown if you're going <coughs> you're going to play that kind of game here now that's not the kind of voice you would use would it? is it there would be desperation right in your voice You'd scream out for help. Let me. Can you actually scream for help? I don't think you can. She can't. I mean, wouldn't you actually... Uh-oh. <laughs> Martha, <clears throat> I have a feeling you're going to have to repent here. <laughs> and you know what I would say? I would say that if several people were in this area with her, they would all be doing the same thing that she's doing. Let's say Brother Hawk was out in the water swimming. Uh, Brother Brunker was out in the water swimming. Brother Blake's out. What do you think you'd do if this lady was in trouble? Even if you knew that you could assist her, you'd still scream for the lifeguard. You would still scream for the lifeguard. And Martha, you would not be saying, Come here, honey. <clears throat> it wouldn't be that, would it? No. Now, the first thing that she would do, she would scream for help. Now, she probably would not give one thought as to whether this lifeguard could swim or not. She would automatically trust and believe in him. He would not be holding that position. This is the reason why that people who are genuine, who come to God, when it comes to faith, you don't have to think a lot about it. It's an automatic thing. It just comes. So Martha screams for help. Can you scream? Say, help! Let's all help her, okay? Okay, now, was that loud enough to get the lifeguard's attention? It was. Now, what's the lifeguard going to do? He's been up here. <laughs> he says, forget it. He keeps clipping his nails, manicuring. Is he going to do that? No, that's not what he's going to do. What do you think you're going to do? You're going to... Now, don't dive, okay? We don't have any water. We, there's a certain limitation to this parable, all right? You don't dive in. You just jump in, okay? Just jump in. And he swims out. <laughs> and he swims out to get her, okay? Now, all right. Now, when he gets there, he may have to... <laughs> I'm telling you, I sure picked the right couple for this, didn't I? <laughs> now, now, <clears throat> we got to be serious now. This worked out better than what I thought. Now, wouldn't it be strange if all of a sudden, after, after all the people assisted the way they did, after she had trusted in the lifeguard, after she had called on the lifeguard, wouldn't it be crazy for her to say, if somebody said, Martha, I understand that you almost drowned. She said, yes, but I tell you what, 
I'll tell you what I did. I called as, I called louder than anybody's ever called. That's the reason why I, I was saved. I trusted more than anybody trusted. Believed more than anybody believed that I was going That's why I was saved. No, my friend. She was not saved because she called. She was not saved because she trusted. Now, let me say something. While salvation is separate and apart from anything you do, it does not mean that you shouldn't do something in order for God to respond to you. And see, that just seems to be the missing link in a lot of people's logic. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to call upon Him. Because the truth of the matter is that no man, even though no man can come to God except the Spirit draw him or take him, that repentance, the shedding of man's sin, is a voluntary thing. And God says, if man wants to drown in this sea of iniquity, if he wants to go to hell, I'll give him enough lateral or elbow room to go to hell if that's what he wants to do. But I will stand in my proper position and wait until such a time that you call. I'll be even listening and watching when you call when you believe, when you trust, what will I do? I'll rescue you. That's what I'll do. But it would be crazy for somebody to walk through life and say, Well, I'm saved because. Well, it, you, may, you may not be saved if you had not have called, but it's not your calling that saves you. You may be saved because you were baptized, but the truth of the matter is, it's not that effort. It was God that did it. Because, you see, baptism is an answer of a good conscience, void of offense toward God. And that simply means that when you go down in the water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's more than H2O that gets you wet, my friend. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes that sin away and casts that sin into the sea of forgetfulness. And this is why that Paul says that salvation cometh not by works, lest any man should boast. In other words, Martha could say, I was the best screamer you've ever seen. I was the best believer you've ever seen. I was the most obedient person that you've ever seen. You see, when the lifeguard swims out there, there are situations in which people are not, being, are not able to be saved simply because... They won't listen to the lifeguard. Some people will fight to the extent. In other words, if I'm going to be saved, it's going to be my way. Well, in other words, they panic. You've heard all kinds of stories of, of, of people that have to take, and lifeguards that have to take very extreme, radical measures, even to the point of knocking people unconscious in order to save them. But let me tell you something. God won't knock you unconscious to save you. He's going to come out there and He's going to give you some simple instructions you need to obey.
But basically, when the disciples said, Lord, save us, we perish. Nobody can save you but Jesus. We sing the song, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin. Far. Oh, my. My, my, my. I think we ought to get the hymn book and sing it. We have hymn books passed out today. Somebody find that. Can we save ourselves? What is it, 272? 275, all right. Let's see, Martha, were you a praise singer today? Sharon, okay, Sharon, come up here if you would. Who's playing the organ? Sister Sue, come up here. Sister Grant was playing the piano. Okay. Brother, were you up here, Brother Redford? Okay, Brother Mike Sanders. Who else was singing? Praise singer. Sister Kathy, okay. All right, let's turn to that, 275, and let's sing this. You can go back and be see if you like. Can I have your book? You've got the page in. You, you see, I think a good study of the Scripture gives us more appreciation for what Jesus did. I'll tell you another thing it does. It keeps people from being self-righteous. You know what self-righteous means? It simply means people who believe that righteousness came by self. Separate and apart from anything God was doing. They became holy enough, good enough, worthy enough. No, my friend. No, my friend. You may have been baptized. You may have repented of your sins. You may have been obedient. But the main emphasis has to be placed on Jesus. Because only Jesus could reach you. And only Jesus could bring you in. Only Jesus could put you in those high heavenly places to sit with Him. Only Jesus. Praise God. Let's stand right now. Oh, hallelujah. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within. Seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love it me. Jesus is salvation. Let me just make this statement again so that you won't leave here confused. While it is true that Jesus is salvation and nothing that you do saves you, it is also true that you can and must do something in order to get Him to save you. 
You see, that's very important. Because there has to be an effort on your part that denotes your will to be saved. Because God will not save you against your will. And as we sing this, we're going to give you an invitation to come. If you're sick in body, just come and stand. We want to lay hands on you and anoint you. Remember, only Jesus can heal you today. Pastor Grant can't. Nobody else can. If you need to be delivered from something, come and stand. If you need Bible salvation, come right ahead. We want to minister to your needs today. But remember, Jesus is salvation. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Come on, right now. Very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe 